Welcome to Double Happiness Multiplied with Sally Barker, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy, healthy family life. Welcome to Episode 3 of Double Happiness Multiplied. I'm Sally Barker. Today, we're talking about nutrition and your multiple pregnancy. We'll hear from maternal fetal medicine specialist, Associate Professor Craig Pennell, about what happens to your body during pregnancy and what supplementations required to grow healthy babies. Hypnobirthing practitioner and birthing doula Elise Jamison joins us again, sharing how she was hospitalised with hyperemesis and struggled to eat for the first 18 weeks of her twin pregnancy. Mum of quadruplets, Janelle Snadden, talks about eating as much heavy food as possible in the beginning of her pregnancy to set herself up for her third trimester when she was running out of room for food. I'll share my story of losing a significant amount of weight in my first trimester, also due to hyperemesis. And pregnancy dietitian and nutritionist Jessica Rusha from Essence of Eating outlines a basic meal plan for each trimester of your pregnancy. As a woman carrying more than one baby, your energy and protein requirements are dramatically increased. This is because your resting energy expenditure is much greater than that of a woman carrying a singleton. What this means is that due to the increased maternal tissue you're carrying, you'll burn more calories at rest. And this, of course, affects your vitamin and mineral levels, which have a significant impact on the growth and development of your babies. Maternal fetal medicine specialist, Associate Professor Craig Pennell, explains how important supplementation is for a multiple pregnancy. The vitamin supplementation is a lot more important in twins than in singletons. And it's not actually for the baby, it's more for the mother. Because the babies will take what they need from the mother almost always. But therefore the mother will lose calcium from her bones. She will definitely lose iron because she's making an extra litre and a half to two litres of maternal blood, plus two placentas, plus two baby blood volumes, all of which uses up iron. And so therefore, women with multiple pregnancies should take a good pregnancy multivitamin. Many would recommend that they take more folate than normal because of the additional load. And then most of us would recommend starting iron in a preventative manner right at the start of pregnancy and also calcium. The vast majority of women become iron deficient in pregnancy. When we know it's going to happen to all twins, the best thing to do is to start early. And that way, if you get side effects from the iron, you know, missing some days here and there isn't an issue when you're looking at over a seven or eight month period. Whereas if you're trying to cram all of your iron in at 30 weeks to have it fixed before you're delivering, then it becomes a much bigger problem. And calcium is the other thing. So your standard multivitamins, folate, calcium, and iron. Probably the other thing which some women struggle with is the concept of weight gain in pregnancy. Weight gain in a singleton pregnancy, if you weigh between 50 and 100 kilos at the start of pregnancy, it doesn't have a huge impact on the rate of fetal growth. The babies will grow normally. If you are less than 50 kilos, then weight gain matters. And if you are more than 100 kilos, the best outcomes occur in women who lose a bit of weight in pregnancy. In twin pregnancies, there's very good data to show that if the mother doesn't gain 12 to 15 kilos across the pregnancy, then they will get growth restriction in their babies. Now, for some women, weight gain in pregnancy is very easy. For other women, the concept of gaining 15 kilos 
goes against their you know, habits of going to the gym for 12 years and they will struggle greatly with the concept of gaining weight, especially people who are athletes or have um, jobs and things that require them to have a particular appearance. But it is really important. Generally, how I advise women is I su- suggest that in the first trimester they just keep down what they can and not to be too worried about it. Water is the most important thing and what food they can keep down because vomiting in pregnancy and hyperemesis are much more common in twins because you have twice the, p- the pregnancy hormones, basically. Once you get past that, if you're in the group of women where you're struggling to gain weight, then um, protein supplement drinks, sustagen or a protein milkshake kind of thing between meals can often help. Because the problem is once you get past about 28 to 30 weeks, there's no room left in your abdomen, so even eating can start to become difficult. And certainly in higher order multiples, it's very difficult. And I had a lady with quads who could barely eat at all after 30 weeks just because there's absolutely no room and she just was continuously uncomfortable. So really the critical time for weight gain in multiples is probably from 16 to... 30, maybe 32 weeks, and it tends to plateau off then at the end. And if you are fortunate enough to be able to breastfeed, then the weight will fall off very quickly. If you bring it back step by step, with twins, you are looking at about a two-litre blood volume change by the end of pregnancy, so that's two kilos. By the end of pregnancy, you are looking at a placenta that would be approaching a kilo, So now up to three. Two babies at two and a half kilos, now you're up to eight. Breast tissue, a couple of kilos, you're up to 10. So if you're gaining less weight than the kind of 12 kilos, you're actually losing your own weight. And that usually comes from muscle. And that is not necessarily a helpful thing for a pregnant woman who's carrying weight in front of her body and then the demands and things afterwards. I had um, what a lot of multiple mums have is hyperemesis, so the you know fairly severe form of morning mm-hmm. sickness. And I was fairly well bedridden for a good chunk of my pregnancy. Um, ended up with the hospital admission um, to get some fluids only once, though, which is not too bad. But for me, it was yeah, very much trying to manage the hyperemesis, so keeping hydrated and trying to get any food down. So yeah, the main main thing for me was managing my life with the hyperemesis so I had a business to run and my husband works for himself so he had to run his business while I was basically bedridden for up to about the first 18 weeks for a period there I was actually having trouble even keeping water down you know at that point I was just trying to keep in whatever whatever I was able to keep in you know and I'm the type of person that you know eats organic food and eats the rainbow of you know vegetables and things but I couldn't I couldn't stomach most things for you know periods of weeks at a time so just a matter of staying hydrated and fed with whatever I could keep in, to be honest. I don't know a lot of people that have, you know, fairly severe hyperemesis lose a lot of weight in the beginning, but I didn't. I was just, you know, stable that there. Um, I'm quite a small person to begin with, so I'm grateful for that. You know, but then once I was able to eat again, I was really just eating my, you know, usual usual diet. I generally eat quite a lot of food. <laughs> and even now as a breastfeeding <laughs> mum of twins, I, I, I'm pretty much just eating all day. When you got to the third trimester, you said you were quite large. Was that, again, a yep. bit more difficult to get food in? 
I didn't really struggle with it, to be honest. I just ate to my hunger. You know, listening to our body and what our body needs is probably the, the smart way to go. So I, no, I didn't have any trouble. I know a lot of women seem to, I've heard, you know, feel like they run out of room and struggle to get enough food in, but that wasn't an issue for me. Associate Professor Pennell says that in cases like Elise's, it's crucial to be guided by a nutritionist or dietitian who specialises in pregnancy to ensure the growth and development of your babies is maintained. The complexity of diet in pregnancy is such that if there are any issues, then I think seeing a, a person who specialises in the field, such as a good dietitian, would be well worth doing. Is there any harm to the babies if this is the case? The harm almost exclusively is the babies fail to reach their optimal weight. So if you had a woman who, despite her best efforts or intentionally limited her weight gain to, say, six kilos in pregnancy, her babies at term may be half a kilo less than they should be. And there is very good evidence that if you don't reach your full growth potential, your risk of adult disease goes up. So if you're a small baby that's been small from the start and you're born small, you'll be small later on, that's okay. But if you were you know, a, the child of two six-foot parents, you should be making a big baby. And if you don't reach that potential, then your body is set up for a hostile environment, a kind of fight-flight response, and so you're more likely to get high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, stroke, all of the significant adult diseases. So there's, there's many good reasons why having a good rate of maternal weight gain in pregnancy is important. In general, when I see women in a singleton pregnancy, I don't weigh them because it generally just causes more anxiety. But in people who have multiple pregnancies, we do weigh them intermittently such that we can guide them a bit more than we would normally. Now, there are some doctors who weigh people at every visit and I think as long as you are helping people and being assessed isn't causing more harm than good, then I think that's a, a worthwhile thing to do. Janelle Snadden explains that while she was carrying quadruplets, optimising her nutritional intake at the beginning of the pregnancy helped her maintain the growth of her babies towards the end when there simply wasn't much room left for food. The first two trimesters, obviously, I was mostly at home. So, yes, I found like I needed heavy food. So I had a lot of carbohydrates. I ate a lot of protein because I was told that that was obviously good to give the babies a chance because I said, obviously, I was definitely going to have them early. So everything that I could give them was the best for them growing. So I tried to eat lots of those types of food, carbohydrates and proteins. And then when I went into hospital, they put me on to um, Sustagen. So I had those drinks. The hospital also had a resource juice drink, which was protein-based. So I had that. And then just lots of things like eggs. They got me to eat eggs and meats and things like that while I was in hospital, which, yeah, made it a lot easier for me to, yeah, fit everything in there amongst the four bambinos. Nutritionist and dietitian Jessica Rusha from Essence of Eating says in terms of calories needed each day during your multiple pregnancy, it really depends on your pre-pregnancy weight, genetic makeup and cultural background. As a rough guide, recommendations for total calorie intake per day for women who are carrying multiples, I would say would be around the 3,500 calories or around the 14,000 kilojoules a day. So that is a huge amount, a huge amount of food. You do need a lot more even when you have a singleton pregnancy. So 
the requirements are hugely increased. There's no specific dietary guidelines for multiple pregnancies, but to really give you an idea, from the five food groups, we need about five servings of vegetables or salad per day, two servings of fruit per day, eight and a half servings of breads and cereals per day, three and a half serves of protein per day, and about uh, two and a half serves of dairy per day. And, and that is that is based on a singleton pregnancy. So like I said, there's no real guidelines on how much we need for women of multiples, but of course there's, that's going to be increased from that point. So that's a good starting point. Um, the eight and a half serves of breads and cereals a day, a lot of women are quite shocked to really hear how much you really do need of carbohydrates in a day. And that is because your energy requirements are hugely increased. And that's the breads and cereals and the carbohydrate food group provides a lot of uh, that energy. Before pregnancy and then during pregnancy, the, the main two food groups that are increased are the breads and cereals and the proteins. The protein is one of them, but a lot of people do forget about the um, breads and cereals as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are on you know low-carb diets and so yes. forth, so to all of a sudden have to start increasing that in their diet, yes. it could be quite hard. Yes, a big, big, um, big thing to get the head around, for sure. Yeah, so it, it is really an individual case for each person some people do require a lot less than that or a little bit less than that depending on the, again the size of the person and, and where they've been and what their sort of their history is in terms of what they've been eating before that if they're quite a small eater or a petite person that is probably quite a lot so this is where as a dietitian we can provide certain and specific recommendations for each woman going through her own journey yeah the second point i would say that um women who are carrying multiples should know about nutrition during their pregnancy is that really choosing nutrient-dense foods that is key over choosing energy-dense foods this means that perhaps choosing foods that are going to provide some nutrition so provide some healthy proteins and and monounsaturated fats and fiber and this is going to allow the body to utilize those nutrients and really make sure that the baby's growth and development is uh, traveling along well what are some examples of nutrient-dense foods? Yeah, so of those five food groups, any of those would be nutrient-dense foods, but something like nuts, so raw unsalted nuts as a snack is a really nutrient-dense food, or fruit, any fruit, of course, is nutrient-dense, and, and vegetables, of course, so those ones, yeah. So pretty much anything that's not in a packet. Pretty much, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so more your whole foods. Yes, exactly. Mm. Those five whole food groups, that's what we really want to be focusing on. That They're the every day foods that we need to be having yeah the third point I was going to make would be that it's quite difficult to get all those nutrients in particularly from food alone so particular nutrients that we do need supplementing one that we would strongly suggest is that for one month prior to conception and for at least three months into the pregnancy the person does take folate and iron and iodine uh, these are the three main supplements that we should be aiming to get more of so with multiples again the demands of the woman's body for these is is huge it's it's a really huge amount so there's no definitive guidelines for multiple pregnancies in terms of the amounts that we actually need but as a guideline we should be aiming for somewhere around 30 milligrams of iron per day 
and about one milligram or 1,000 micrograms of folate a day and about at least 150 micrograms or more of iodine per day. And in a lot of the multivitamin supplements or pregnancy supplements, you can achieve that. Um, it's just making sure you check with your doctor to make sure that is enough for you. Why is it important to understand the types and amounts of food you eat at various stages of pregnancy? So this is really so that you're getting adequate nutrition from the foods that you're eating and making sure that your babies are growing adequately and, and developing properly. So, for example, to get enough iron, it's important that you're eating iron-rich foods such as, as red meat and chicken and legumes, nuts and seeds. All, these are all really great sources of iron. The iron is responsible for the baby's growth and development and circulating the blood around the body. If we have a vegetarian or a vegan woman, yep. Yep. what would we substitute with? So vegetarian or vegan, definitely uh, if they're eating eggs, eggs is a great source of iron. And the beans and lentils and legumes, they're the ones that I'd be suggesting most days of the week, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, to be eating those foods. They're so, so good in terms of the proteins and fibre and the amount of iron that's in there as well. Nuts and seeds is a big one too. Yeah. Mm. So how can a woman carrying twins, triplets or quads maximise the nutritional intake towards the end of the pregnancy yep. when there's just not much room left? Yeah, great question. I think it is so tricky and even more reason to take special care of choosing quality food and drinks. If there is so little room in there, it just you need to be precious and careful with what you're actually choosing. So a couple of tips I could provide. Number one would be to eat really, really small and frequent, really, really frequent meals. So as often as you possibly can. This is just so you can allow that digestion process to take place. Perhaps viewing each meal time as a snack rather than having to have a whole meal, that might be easier to get your head around as well. So for example, um, having a small snack at 6.30 in the morning and then again at um, 8.30 and then 10.30 and then 12.30, so et cetera, et cetera. So every couple of hours or one to two hours or as often as you can, you start to feel a little bit hungry again if you do get that hunger. The second tip I would give would be to separate your foods and drinks so that you're not filling up on fluids and leaving completely no room for food of course water is absolutely important as well and being well hydrated it's just such a fine balance between the two and, and making sure you're getting enough food and nutrition but also keeping hydrated so splitting up the two having the water at, at perhaps another time or like an hour later after you've eaten might be a better way to go rather than filling up too much the third point I would I would say would be to Keep moving your body as much as you physically poss physically possible, um, and this is really so that it helps keep your energy uh, and energy levels up as well. But keeps your food moving through your digestive system, so it's not just sitting there as opposed to somebody who's quite sedentary all day. You're more likely to have more of an appetite if you're keeping quite well, regularly ac active, if you can. The fourth tip I would give would be in some cases having the nutritional supplement drinks such as the sustagen that might be a way to go again to just increase that little bit extra or have that little bit of extra nutrition between meals if you, if you need or a smoothie or, or a drink of some sort perhaps that's an easier way depending on the person every person's so different with how much and how little they can have at each point yeah it's quite a lot of food to get in, but as Jessica explains, when it's broken down into a daily meal plan, it becomes more achievable to get the right amounts of nutrients throughout each stage of pregnancy. 
trimester one is of course the most difficult I would I would say for a lot of women to really eat well because simply because they're having double that hormone the HCG hormone circulating or triple the the HCG hormones circulating around and of course nausea as well from that so if that nausea and that sickness is taking over then it's really going to be difficult to get uh, anything in so my tip would be just anything you can manage to eat nutritious or not so nutritious I think is probably the most realistic uh, and a practical way to move forward trimester two it's probably the best time to maximize your nutritional intake because the all-day sickness perhaps might be subsiding for you by now um, and you might have a little bit more space in your stomach than in trimester three. So really making the most of that that second trimester um, if you can. So an ideal breakfast would look something like if you had a bowl of rolled oats, um, cow's milk or some yo- and or yogurt um, with some nuts and seeds and some dried or fresh fruit to go with that. Or another option could be a couple of pieces of whole grain toast with egg, avocado, tomato, a combination of those. Um, for morning tea, you could have a piece of fruit or a piece of fruit toast, a bit of cinnamon or honey if, if that's what you enjoy. And then a small tub of yogurt could be another option for a morning tea snack. For lunch, I'd be suggesting having that protein there at least. So some chicken or tuna or beef or any sort of leftover meat that you might have from the night before and adding that into a multi-grain roll and, of course, with plenty of salads or vegetables in there. Like a lentil patty or something like that. Yeah, lentil patty if if somebody who is vegetarian, um, Mm. that would be a fantastic one. Yeah, anything, anything like that. But the key would be having a lot of salad and vegetables because that is a big food group that you need to get in as well. Or roasted vegetables, that might be another one that you could have. And that, for example, with nuts, some cheddar cheese, some brown rice or barley, it's that extra bit of carbohydrate that you're getting in there if you're not having a roll, for example. And some extra virgin olive oil for those healthy monounsaturated fats as the dressing or balsamic dressing or lemon juice or vinegar. Um, and so going on to afternoon tea, that could be... Some Vita Wheats, the nine grain Vita Wheat crackers with peanut butter or almond butter or any other nut butter of your choice. A banana is a really nutrient-dense one as well. Veggie sticks with hummus or Greek yogurt or a tomato salsa for a bit of flavour, that's completely fine. Nuts and seeds or a piece of cheese even as some really nutrient-dense snacks that you can be getting in the middle of the day or towards the afternoon. Dinner time, again, opting around that sort of red meat for the iron especially, chicken or fish, uh, tuna, sardines, salmon, any of those are fantastic sources of um, iron and the, the good healthy fats as well, especially if it's coming from the salmon. And whole grain carbohydrates, that is the key there too. So whole grain carbohydrates can be quinoa or wholemeal pasta or noodles or brown rice or barley, any of those uh, carbohydrates are wonderful to include, especially with your meal. And then, of course, the vegetables and salad. Ideally, if you can be aiming for about half of your plate or 50% of your meal to be veggies or salad, that is going to be fantastic. So at lunch and dinner, half of it should be veggies or salad. And a snack after dinner, a small snack if you can manage, would be a glass of milk or a little tub of yogurt or If you haven't had any fruit by then, have some fruit then. 
you might be feeling like something a little bit more indulgent, like some chocolate, which is completely fine. I'd probably just opt towards a dark chocolate and then you don't feel like you need so much of that. Moving on to the third trimester, so I suppose similar to what I've just mentioned for the second trimester is would be fantastic. But like I said earlier, breaking it up into really small meals and snacks or, or just several snacks over the day may be the best way forward, especially if you're really struggling for room in your stomach and feeling uncomfortable after meals. So for example, you could have half of your porridge at 6.30 and then the other half of that at 8.30 to 9 o'clock in the morning, then a small snack at um, 10.30 and then half of your roll, a salad roll, salad and meat roll for lunch and then break, having the other half of the roll for a snack later on. So just really breaking it up into small little meals really, but not too much difference really for between second and, and third trimester. What added supplementation would a vegetarian or vegan woman need to consider before, during and after a multiple pregnancy? So it's always important to check with your GP and get a pre-pregnancy blood test done, ideally if that's possible, and just to check if you're deficient in any particular nutrients. Especially if you have a history of low iron, for example, that might be one that um, may be suggested by your GP to have a bit of a booster of an iron supplement before your pregnancy. Um, So before pregnancy, like I mentioned before, um, having a pre-pregnancy multivitamin at least one month prior to conception, if possible, and three months into pregnancy is recommended. Um, One that has added folate and iodine and iron is uh, definitely recommended. Um, For during, for somebody who is uh, on a vegan or vegetarian diet, um, B12 would be definitely one to check on and to supplement for. You need that. You're only going to get that from animal products. And B12 is really responsible for the blood cell formation and functioning of the nervous system. B12 is, like I mentioned, mostly found in animal products, so meat, chicken, fish, poultry, eggs um, and nuts and also milk and milk products are the the major sources of B12. Iron would be the other one definitely to supplement. So we've spoken about this a few times already, but iron is needed to carry the oxygen around the body, not only of your body, but your baby's bodies as well. So um, that is found in, again, the darker the meat colour, the higher the iron content. And seafood, dark leafy green vegetables and salads, Uh, nuts and seeds and legumes are really high in iron content Um, and of course both of these nutrients are really a lot more difficult to get if you are vegan or vegetarian. Vitamin D might be the other one to have a look at Um, and this one helps the body to absorb and use calcium in the body so um, it also helps with protecting the body against infections so helps develop a healthy immune system so I'd be checking that one as well. Afterwards, I would recommend just a general checkup of all, all nutrients across, across the board to make sure that um, you are adequately supplemented or you have enough of those particular nutrients over the, the whole pregnancy or from the pregnancy as a result. It's quite common, whether you're vegan, vegetarian or not, yeah. that if you go into a pregnancy and you do have deficiencies, yes. that it can be quite a problem. Absolutely, and it takes a lot of time to catch up. If, if at all, if you can catch up, and especially if you've got more than one in there. Yeah, so. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And when yeah. we do know that in every pregnancy, yep. you do you do become iron deficient, yes. you know, yep. regardless. Most of the time, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So being ahead, ahead of the mark from the start is, is going to be fantastic if you can do that. 
All right. Well, are there any physical symptoms that would indicate a nutritional deficiency that would require significant intervention? I think the main one would be tiredness or fatigue. Um, this is probably the most common symptom, especially if you are carrying multiples. And it could be due to iron deficiency, but it also could be because uh, you have a high demand of nutrients from your babies. So I'd suggest seeing your doctor first and then perhaps seeing a dietitian who specialises in nutrition in pregnancy as they may be able to have a look at the range of foods um, and carbohydrates that you're actually eating over the day and really identify, okay, is it iron, the iron that's deficient or is it simply um, a, a poorer quality diet that uh, you're not getting enough carbohydrates throughout, evenly spread throughout the day? Um, because carbohydrates are the body's main source of energy. So um, and like we said earlier, it's sometimes one, the first one to go for some people. Constipation might be the other one, the other symptom that you may experience. Uh, and iron supplements and increased pressure on the bowel could contribute to this. Sometimes not enough dietary fibre, not enough water or not enough physical activity. So they're the ones that I'd be looking at if somebody were to present to me um, with those physical symptoms and, and make sure that they're getting enough. And it, for each person that's different as well. So individual advice from a dietitian is so important um, and like I've said before, it's such an individual journey for every single person based on their background and their, their pre-pregnancy weight and what they, their weight throughout pregnancy and, and how quickly they gain the weight too, that individual advice is certainly recommended. You might remember my story of not realising my intense sickness was due to pregnancy. Well, as the weeks went by and my doctor sent me for more tests to establish what was wrong, my weight continued to drop significantly. In fact, by the time it was clear I was pregnant, I weighed about 50 kilograms. Now, by this stage, I was about 11 weeks pregnant. All I could manage to keep down were those sickly red and blue sports drinks, which isn't ideal nutrition for trying to grow twins. My obstetrician prescribed medication for the hyperemesis, but after talking with my pharmacist, I decided against taking it. So it wasn't until I was about 17 or 18 weeks pregnant that the sickness started to subside and I could eat substantial meals again. By the time the girls were born at 28 weeks, I had gained weight, but I only weighed 64 kilograms. Looking back, I would have benefited from the guidance of a nutritionist. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 3 of Double Happiness Multiplied. Coming up on episode four, we're discussing gestational diabetes and why it's important for women carrying more than one baby to understand how it might impact her pregnancy. We'll speak with diabetes educator, nurse practitioner and midwife Marina Mickelson about how to manage the condition and what foods to avoid and what foods you probably need to increase in your diet. Mum of triplets Rochelle Lear, who was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, explains how she coped with the condition. And identical twin, Deb Howe, who has just delivered identical twin boys, invited us along when she had her glucose tolerance test. I hope you're enjoying season one of Double Happiness Multiplied. If you are, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or a review. Until next time, I wish you Double Happiness Multiplied. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform and should not be used to diagnose any medical condition. It's no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it doesn't constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, I encourage you to discuss your options with a healthcare provider who specialises in multiple births. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience and conclusions.
Thank you for listening to Double Happiness Multiplied, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy and healthy family life. Remember to head over to doublehappinessmultiplied.com to get access to more great resources.